0: Welcome to the Jewish Boston and Israel 360 podcast. I'm Mary Manzavan of Jewish Boston. I'm here with my co-host Dan Seligson of Israel 360. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and visit us online at Israel360.org and JewishBoston.com. This month, Israel 360 and Jewish Boston will be hosting three very special Israelis to celebrate Israel's 70th birthday, commemorated all year, but specifically on April 19th during the holiday of Yom Ha'atzma'ut, or Independence Day. Tell us a little about our first guest, Dan. Thanks, Miriam. Uh, Today, we're going to be joined by Colonel Miri Eisen. For over 20 years, she served as the head of the Combat Intelligence Corps, the assistant director of military intelligence as well as the intel officer in combat units and research departments. After she retired from the military, she was appointed as the Israeli prime minister's international advisor and played an important role in the Annapolis conference. She's also been a frequent visitor to Boston, a three-time guest on Israel 360, a two-time guest on My Baba, the predecessor to Israel 360, and she's amazing. And I know this because I've seen her lead some very challenging and interesting groups around Israel, from political science professors to New England Patriots wide receiver Julian Edelman and pretty much anyone else you can possibly imagine. She is an exceptional public speaker with a bottomless well of knowledge. I've heard hundreds of questions fired at Miri over the years, and she really handles them all, from the totally insipid to the truly challenging. And I've never heard her hesitate once or or fail to come up with a brilliant answer. So, as we go from Saudi Arabia to the Kardashians, Miri is prepared to answer it all and talk about Israel at 70 and Yom HaSemut celebrations in Israel. Thank you and welcome, Miri.
1: It's absolutely wonderful to be here. Always a pleasure to be with Boston.
0: So, um, Miri, let's talk a little bit about Israel's modern history. 70 years is obviously a pretty brief period of time, but I think it's safe to say that quite a bit has happened. In fact, I think it's pretty safe to say Israel continues to be the most covered story in the world. Why do you think that is?
1: I think that we're still unique in the world. And we don't like thinking of ourselves as being different. We want to be part of the world. We want to be like everybody else. So there are some ways that we are. But if you look at it in day-to-day life, we are the only Jewish country. We're the only country where at the end our calendar is the Jewish calendar. We're the only country where Hebrew is the spoken language. And we're the only country that really did something that has not been done in modern times. We reinvented ourselves in the 20th century, 3,000-year-old people, modern state. That still is quite unique.
0: It's incredible. And, you know, as a As a person of a certain age, I would say that when you hit a year that ends in a five, or a year that ends in a zero, those are the ones where you do a little bit of self-reflection. And if you look at the arc of Israeli history, how would you characterize the period that we're in now? Is this peacetime Israel, finally?
1: actually dan i don't really think so and i say it in its own way sadly i don't think that right now when you walk through the streets of israel you talk about peace because when you're talking peacetime, you're usually alluding to our relationships with our close neighbors immediate neighbors it doesn't matter if it's lebanon syria jordan egypt or the closer one of the palestinians i can't call this a time of peace Now, one of the odd things that happens here is it's also not a time of war. I think that domestically inside Israel, we are in a very good time. We're in a strong economy. We're in a strong domestic front, but I can't really characterize it as being peacetime.
0: Is it strange for Israelis uh, who have been in Israel for a long time and remember wars to adjust to the period that the country is in now? I know that even in the even in the American Jewish community, they're sort of the people who remember 67 and 73 and those who don't, and they have a different way of looking at the country.
1: I think that there's a watershed line between those who remember and those who don't. Because anybody who's 40 and under sees Israel through the eyes It can be of the first intifada or the second intifada. It can be of the first Lebanon war or of the second Lebanon war. But it's much more about wars that are a different type of wars than the all-out wars that we had five times against Egypt, against Syria, against Jordan, countries that since then we've signed peace treaties with. I want to flip over for a moment what we just said. Isn't it amazing that people 40 and under don't know a reality where Israel does not have a peace treaty with? Egypt, to me, that's amazing that people who are 40 and under have lived their entire life when there has been a peace treaty with Egypt. But it's certainly a watershed line because people over that remember the five horrific wars that we had with Egypt, and then we arrived at peace. But because of that, you can really see that difference in the age group, those who are younger, those who are older. I'm not even sure that that's unique for Israel, but because we've had in our history so many harsh wars, because the wars themselves have changed a lot in the way that they're fought, the wars that were until, including 1973, and the wars that we fought since 1973, that even on that level, there's a watershed difference between those generations.
0: So getting to... uh your subject. This is a a pretty amazing time to be in Israel. I know it must be, and I'm I'm quite envious. And I'd love to get there sometime in the next month, but it looks like I won't. Um, it also seems like it's an exciting time for Israeli diplomacy. We just saw in the last week a flight go f- uh, from India to Israel and fly over Saudi Arabia, which is I guess never happened before in a time of peace. Uh, things are seem to be they're changing for Israel and the rest of the world. Is that is that a thing? Is that a real thing that I'm seeing?
1: It's definitely a thing that you're seeing. Remember that we're Israeli. So first, of course, for all of our listeners, remember, tfutututfutu. Tfut. You know, good things happen. Let's not say something that'll make it change, right? But as Did it I is just right now. No, 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 no. We <laughs> don't right. jinx things that way. Don't worry. Okay. But one of the things that we do see right now is that both locally, the Israeli-Egyptian relationship, the Israeli-Jordanian relationship, but even if you look a little bit broader than that, we suddenly realize that we're in the Middle East and we have a position in the Middle East which is not only connected to being against Israel or looking at Israel only through the the eyes of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It's something broader, both because there are other threats and challenges in the Middle East that are difficult for and because of changes that have happened in the Middle East, totally not connected to us. What happened in Egypt has nothing to do with us. What's happening in Saudi Arabia has nothing to do with us, but it is having enormous impact on Israel in the arena. Saudi Arabia is going through amazing changes. We don't have diplomatic ties. We don't have direct relations. But as you said, a plane flew over Saudi airspace That's enormous. That's big. And again, I don't like calling it in the terms of peace, but on our being a regular accepted neighbor within the Middle Eastern arena. We live in the Middle East. Our neighbors are Middle Eastern. Half of our population is Middle Eastern, but we've never felt part of the neighborhood. And I think that what's changing is that we're becoming part of the neighborhood and not in a negative way.
0: And and that is incredible. And, you know, I think another piece of evidence that this is happening in the world is that Jerusalem in the next three to six months, maybe even a lot sooner, will be home of at least three embassies. What does that feel like to an Israeli to have this kind of recognition of Jerusalem at long last?
1: Isn't it funny? On the one hand, it's like, oh, my God, thank you. It's about time. And on the other side, for the average Israeli, it doesn't make a difference. I want to remind us, all of us, our capital has been Jerusalem from 1949. Our united capital has been our capital from 1967. That's already over 50 years ago old news. What's different is that it's not just for us. For me, I always had to go up to Jerusalem for the legislator, for the executive, for the judicial. You always went there. The president resides there, the prime minister, the offices, they're all there, and they've been there from 1949. But the fact that we have for the first time recognition where the embassies will not be out of Jerusalem, but in the city of Jerusalem. The United States of America, the other countries following will fully recognize it as such. It's a feeling, again, of our being part of the world and not estranged from the world.
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, it just, um, it really is a watershed moment. And I think that the US is still trying to figure out what to do. I've heard in, in They've had this thing about passports where if you're born in Jerusalem, you don't say what country it is. It says the country of Jerusalem or something. It's very odd. But I think we're finally coming around to figuring out in the United States the 50 to 70 year reality that Jerusalem is unified and it is the capital of Israel. And that's pretty exciting for us. Uh, I want to get to the actual holiday and holidays themselves. A lot of people don't know or understand exactly what happens during this extraordinary 20 to thirty hour period between Yom Hazikaron followed by Yom Hatsma'oot. Can you talk about these two holidays and and what it's like to, to feel that that transition?
1: So first, I'm going to talk about the words that you used, because you said Memorial Day, and then you said Independence Day. And I think that from most listeners, even from greater Boston, even people who are involved, you say Memorial Day, and excuse me, Americans, okay, but it kind of means shopping day. You say Independence Day, you remember fireworks, in Israel, it's very different. Memorial Day is really perhaps the most serious Israeli day of the year. and When I say serious, serious, personal, and in your face. It starts with a siren that goes off on the eve of Memorial Day in the Jewish way where the day begins the evening before. So on the eve of Memorial Day, a siren goes off, and throughout Israel, everybody stops everything for two minutes. You're standing and you're thinking. When you're thinking about the almost 30,000 people who have been killed from 1948 and even before that on behalf of the State of Israel, all of the different ones from all the different branches – Everybody in Israel knows somebody. That's part of the way that it is here. So it's very personal. It's not something that's happening to a certain category inside Israel. It's in the north and in the south. It's in the cities and on the farms. It's in the religious and in the non-religious. It really is all uncompassing. On the following day, Memorial Day, people, again, at 11 a.m., there's a siren of two minutes. You're standing. You're listening. doesn't matter what the weather is. You're out there. You can be at school. You can be at home. Everybody's thinking about it to the degree that I know that Israelis on airplanes, wherever they are in the world, at the time of that 11 a.m. siren, they'll kind of stand up for those two minutes just to commemorate whoever it is that they have. Now, think about that. For almost 24 hours, we're sitting and talking about the people that were lost in wars, about heroism, about ethics and morals in the military and fighting, and then at 8 p.m., we have a ceremony at the Western Wall which is incredible, that then transitions to the military cemetery and from there we go into the happiness of Independence Day because as an idea and as an ethos, our country was built on the fact that we have always had those who would stand up and defend for them and we are going to make sure that after our 24 hours of mourning we're not going to stay there, we're going to rejoice in the meaning for which they fell and it's a very strong sense, a lot of people who come from the outside, it throws them off. How can you mourn and then become happy? Or vice versa. And to me, that's the essence of how we've built ourselves as a state.
0: It's funny and it, it really um it kind of follows Judaism for me. You know, we've had great tragedies, but our holidays are all very joyful. You know, even even the sad ones, Purim, Passover, a lot of terrible things happen, but in the end it's a joyful holiday. And I think these modern holidays sort of uh echo that in many ways. I
1: I agree with you. And I think that it's beautiful that there's a, because it's a very national holiday. The additional aspect, which is different about Independence Day, is that um, on all of the Jewish holidays, you know, the country kind of closes down. We have all of our different issues about religion, state, but the country closes down. On Independence Day, you have um, cars and you have buses and you have trains. So people can go out and about. And on Independence Day, because the eve is a whole celebration. And on the day itself, people go out, they go out to parks, and they go out to picnics. And then they go, they open up the military bases. So the day before that, people were mourning at the military bases. And the day after that, you go out and in, and you rejoice not in our being, you know, a military hardware nation, in our having a spirit, a fighting spirit, in rejoicing in the way that our entire country really tries to bring everybody in, to be aware of the other, to be aware of the fact that we're all in there. There's a beautiful ceremony on on Independence Day, which is the soldiers that were outstanding, that there's a ceremony at the president's house, and it's soldiers from all different branches of the IDF. And it's just lovely to see how we all rejoice Together with them. And last but not least, on a Jewish note, on Independence Day inside Israel, they have the World Bible Final Chidon, which is the the quiz. And this Bible quiz, which has young, it's the young ones, it's for um, um, high schoolers. And every year they do it in Jerusalem and they do it on Independence Day. So on the one hand, you have the soldiers and you're rejoicing in just the way that we are and who we are as a nation. And on the other hand, you have this Jewish connection, Bible scholars, these 15-year-old young women and men who know the Bible inside and out. It's just a lovely combination.
0: To summarize this whole period of time uh, between and and after the two holidays, what what makes you most proud as an Israeli when you when you look at these two holidays?
1: I love the fact that we know how to both mourn and rejoice, that we can take hand in hand the fact that, um, and I don't like the idea of sacrifices. I like the idea that we believe in what we're doing here, that it isn't a sacrifice, that it's part of who we are. Um, We're not gonna do it just for the fun of it. I just think that the fact that we can handle both the mourning, and the rejoicing is is part of who we are, and the fact that everybody is connected, both to the mourning and to the rejoicing.
0: So let's move on to some of the, the challenges, and, and these are challenges that I think um, they're relatively new to Israel because some of the existential challenges seem to have uh, abated for the moment. But one of the challenges that we've been reading about quite a bit is that there's a growing rift with the diaspora, especially over issues of religious pluralism, um, the peace process or lack thereof, and a sharp divide in this country between uh, the current administration, how Israelis view it, and how American Jews view it. Is this overstated? Or do you think that there are some real issues that that we need to be working through?
1: I don't think it's overstated. I think that all three of the gaps that you just talked about, both on religious pluralism and on the way that people view the resolution of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, let alone on the present administration, all three of these gaps exist. The question is, is that what our relationship is all about? And in that sense, I think that it's a two-way street. And sometimes we kind of have to be aware of, on both sides, and here I take a lot both on the Israeli side, we need to be much more aware of the different environment we live in. Um, I say to North American Jews that at the end, being Israeli is not just about being Jewish. We're citizens of a country. We live in a specific arena. We view our challenges in different ways. We're a democracy. Democracies do not all have to be alike. They don't all have have to agree on everything. That's a healthy thing, not a bad thing. Um, On the Jewish pluralism, I look at Israelis and go, really? Only Israeli Jewish development is the way that you're willing to look? If we're the homeland for Jews, then we can't define Jews in a different way than the largest Jewish community outside of Israel. That's a challenge that I have here, and these are challenges that are out there. To me, the most important part, Daniel, and this I say to everybody listening to us, Let's make sure that we continue the dialogue. Because if we don't have the dialogue, then we're not going to know what each other's are doing. And this isn't about the Jews of America coming to Israel and saying, oh, wow, you're amazing, or vice versa. It's about having an open dialogue on the different ways that you can practice Judaism, open dialogue on having differences of opinion when it comes to state issues. Just like um, we, you know, look different way at an administration, we can look at different ways at peace, we can look different ways at a lot of things, but let's make sure that we keep talking.
0: I think that's, that's a fabulous answer. And I think, you know, dialogue is something that we've started doing here in Boston with the community Israel dialogue, because we know it's essential that, that if we start stop talking to each other, then our positions become more hardened, And we push each other further apart. And then it becomes a lot harder to to kind of heal that rift. I think Uh, that
1: one of the beautiful things in Boston is that you do have an open table. I'm not sure that we have it everywhere in North America. And I know for sure inside Israel that this is something that I'm working on here. I don't think that Israelis understand what it means to be a North American Jew. And this is something that I need to help in educating on my side of the ocean.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It definitely goes both ways. So one of the things that's always really impressed me about you is how you balance three things. And every time I've spoken to you, I I hear that balance. You are a senior IDF officer. You are kind of an everyday Israeli who lives an everyday Israeli life. And you're a mother. And when you look at the next 10, 20 years, what are your hopes for Israel? Kind of wearing all three of those hats that you wear so gracefully every day of your life?
1: It's funny how when we talk about self-identity, how would I introduce myself if I was doing so? And there's no question that you brought up three elements that are so center to my identity. And I look at those three, and I'm sitting here and smiling. Because there's one thing that I know that happens inside Israel. There's a wonderful combination that every 10 years, we reinvent ourselves. So here we are, 70th anniversary, and I go, oh my God, where will we be we be at our 80th anniversary? And Dan, I don't know where that will be, but it's going to be amazing. And I say it in those terms, because look at what we've done every 10 years. We've never stayed the same. 1948 to 58, we changed so much. 1958 to 68, we changed so much. 68 to 78 peace with Egypt? Who would have thought of that? And I say that because that's what happens every 10 years. So my answer as I smile is that in another 10 years, Israel will be, and I say this as a mother for my children, as an officer in the military, as an Israeli, that we will be in a different place than we are today, and it will be where we are flowing to. Israel develops, we evolve, we change, we change in our demographics, we change in our arena, and who knows where it'll be in another 10 years. What I can promise you is that we'll be here and that we will be even better version of what we are now.
0: I love your optimism. I love it. And that's going to take us right into the speed run where I'm going to ask you ridiculous questions. And you are allowed to give answers that are as ridiculous as you want. Okay. Fun. The, old, the current U.S. Embassy is one of the best beachfront properties in Tel Aviv. It could not be better located. Who's going to buy it? One of the Kardashians
1: I'm not sure if it's going to be the Kardashians or Arnold Schwarzenegger who every year always donates an enormous amount of money to FIDF.
0: Oh, that would be exciting, right? And he'd be working out right on the beach. That would be amazing. Okay. Okay. What what color hair dye should BB try next? Do you think the blue was working for him?
1: I'm not sure. I would go with purple. It fits better with his age.
0: (laughs) All right. Uh, In the States on the 4th of July People tend to uh, take big coolers of Bud Light uh, and go to a park and drink a lot of them. And it's really an awful beer. What is the national alcoholic beverage of Israel for Yom HaTzmood? Is it Maccabi and cans?
1: Oh, it's only going to be Gold Star. First of all, nobody drinks Maccabi. That's only really? people who come from outside. Gold Star, Gold Star, Gold Star. But hey, we're becoming very buffy with those ones. We have all sorts of new brands. So next time you come, I'm going to give you Malka, which is the best beer, and it's a queen, and it's wonderful.
0: All right. I cannot wait. Well, Mary, thank you so much. Uh, I wish you a very happy Yom Hasma'ut. I look forward to seeing you again in Israel soon, and thank you so much for taking the time and being on the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much, and thank all of Boston, an amazing, amazing North American community.